0: Welcome to the Restored and Remarried podcast with Gil and Brenda Stewart. Gil and Brenda are internationally known marriage experts who specialize in remarriage and the stepfamily. The Stewart's offer valuable principles that can improve your relationship satisfaction with the love of your life. Here they are, coach and counselors, authors and speakers, Gil and Brenda Stewart.
1: Hey, Brenda and here. We have a fun announcement to make coming up um, if you live in the portland oregon area you're going to want to hear this or i guess even if you're not you can jump on a plane yeah and get join on a us. plane
2: come join us because we're gonna have some fun Sometime in July. What day? July Saturday, 7th? July
1: 7th, we are going to be at what's called the Tiki Meetup. And our producer, Project Mike, is putting this event together at the Tiki Family Fun Center.
2: Fun Center. So July yeah. 7th, 12 to 3 p.m. It's actually located in the Gresham, Oregon area. Yeah. And so all kinds of fun. Miniature golf. Uh, you said something about Axe
1: throwing Axe throwing, yeah, you got to see it to believe it. There's, so
2: uh, there's a cafe,
1: there's a play structure, there's an arcade. Axe throwing, there's all kinds of stuff for the kids to do. And this is throwing a place... axes for the kids. Good, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not very good. Yeah, Anyway, this is a chance you can come and meet uh meet us if you haven't met us. There's going to be other podcasters there,
2: YouTubers.
1: YouTubers, did you know we have a YouTube channel? We do, we do. Yeah, so... we
2: put stuff on there once in a while.
1: Yeah. Anyway, check out. Uh, we're going to be promoting it on. On the R&R Facebook page, and also the Project Mike, which is M-Y-C How page. clever. How Project clever. Project, Mi- Project and Mike. The Tiki Family Fun Center. Join us July 7th from 12 to 3.
2: See you later. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Restored and Remarried with Gil and Brenda Stewart, where we are so thrilled to give you tips, tools, and tingles for your relationship.
1: Yeah, so this is a part two of... An interview we did because we're just having so much fun with our friend Curtis Miller. Hey, Curtis,
3: how's it going again?
1: <laughs> we are talking about something that's very important. I th- I just am amazed at all this new information that's coming out all the time that not everybody is aware of. Uh, talking about the ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences, and in our previous podcast, we we're talking about uh, the ten points of how you can score yourself. And Curtis, maybe you can go over that first. But how then, about just
2: have them listen to it again?
1: That. Yeah. Well, and I, I just love <laughs> the conversation of how it affects our kids nowadays because that's just a lot of people aren't aware of this and as parents uh, and community members I think this is really important. So,
2: so Curtis I'm gonna uh, tee this up for you because before we were recording again and stopped ourselves was uh, hey it's it's graduation. And there's a lot of kids out there that are getting asked, what are you going to do? And they go, hell if I know. And if they've got a trauma background, they are really set up for some real, real tough times. So let's talk about graduation, ACEs, trauma, and uh, just kind of see where we go with our conversation.
3: Well, <clears throat> yeah, to, to jump in on that, um, I spent a lot of time talking with kids and I've asked them uh, how they like being asked so, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> and uh, I've had lots of answers, um, some of which I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but it, needless to say, it comes with a lot of eye rolling and frustration. And I think that I think that one of the things that we need to acknowledge as um, growing up, grown ups, people who are who are maybe a little older and have some more life experience, is that. Uh, the world nowadays is a pretty tough place for a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid to know, to understand, and to be able to predict with any kind of certainty what they're going to do when they grow up. Right. Um, so one of the things that I always tell kids is um, you, you can be polite, but but reframe the question uh, and, and tell tell people what you are hoping to do while you're growing up. Hmm. Uh, because they're not going to be done. Who, who was done growing up by the time they were 18? I'm 50 and I'm still...
1: <laughs> right. I, I think we never I'm, stopped. I'm behind
2: the curve. <laughs> yeah, if we're not learning, we're not living is kind of my concept. So whoever can answer that question might be really close to being dead. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that uh, the world
3: is a complicated place. Education is ridiculously expensive. The job market is tough to get into. It's super specialized. Uh, They're saying now that most of the kids that are going to be in careers in the next five or ten years, uh, there's no way to prepare them for the jobs that they're going to have because 65% of those jobs don't even exist yet. Wow. Wow. Technology and the way that our, our, our economic system works is changing and evolving so fast that we're making new jobs to accommodate that. How do we train kids in schools for that? How do we, how do we, how do, how do they uh, answer the questions in the college and career center?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, they can't
3: give them a, a list of things that they can choose from when the jobs haven't even been created yet. Wow. So I think that there's, there's some sensitivity that, that needs to be a, applied there. Obviously, when people are asking, you know, you're milling around at a, at a graduation party with some stale punch and dry cake in your hand, that's. That's the typical question, but how many kids get asked that question over and over and over and over without a confident answer? They don't really know. Yeah. They might be able to say, you know, I'm going to try to go to this college. I, I'm interested in this kind of career, but they really can't predict what it's going to look like, and so if you have a kid who who maybe they haven't grown up with the with support that's adequate to give them confidence in the face of the unknown Mm -hmm. every time they're asked that question it there's a potential that it's spiking their stress levels and cortisol and adrenaline is being released in their brain and all kinds of stuff that causes um, anxiety and potential depression are being triggered Mm -hmm. so if we can figure out a way to engage with our kids um, in in ways that uh, are more sensitive to the complexity of their lives and their future, then I think that um, that's really compassionate and
2: and, and Mm -hmm. helpful for them. Yeah, Yeah, just hearing you say that, it's almost like rather than ask the the stupid question 4,000 times, maybe it should be more of, you know, ask me a few questions about what you're thinking, you know, and, and just kind of share your experience rather than ask a question that puts a kid in the corner. Give sure. them a chance to kind of just explore because with a lot of the kids that I work with in the counseling room, it's kind of like, hey, you're right on time. You don't know anything. That's good. Go explore. Right. And to have a safe place to go do that actually mm-hmm. is probably a bigger benefit than you're supposed to have it all figured out by the time you're 18 and a half.
0: Sure.
2: So explore. You're right on time. So I think that would say that to you know parents that have those kind of aged kids, give them room to go explore. And if you haven't given them that room to go explore and fail. Um you know that's part of the preparation and uh if they can be allowed to explore when they 're fifteen sixteen seventeen and and crash and burn at least you know they're in your home and you can kind mm-hmm. of put the pieces back together again so let's let 's kind of come back to where we were talking last time about the aces and you know just kind of kind of go back into that now a little bit about more of the research, more of some of the things that we were talking about during the break. Uh, there was a question you had, Brenda, about well, that? Well,
1: if you could uh, just review again those the ACES uh, study and what those 10 points are, the point system, and what you were sharing of how it impacts kids in the classroom and in life, especially those kids that are just a little rough around the edges and what we're looking at their... Um, they're outside how they're reacting to things and we're not really taking that into consideration what's going on behind the scenes so if you could speak to that
3: so from the point of conception the human uh the embryo or whatever it is that's going on in in the the tiny little speck of a human 60% of the genetic material of the parents goes towards building the brain and the nervous system, mm-hmm. and and there are 250,000 neural cells produced every minute until there's about a hundred billion uh, brain cells, and each one of those brain cells connects using synaptic connections, and those synaptic connections are generated. It's a it's a chemical or an electrical impulse that jumps across. Axons and dendrites, which are sort of the communication members uh, of the of the brain cells. You're geeking
1: me out here. <laughs> Sorry,
3: let me let me nerd just for a minute. Okay. but those those uh, electric or uh, chemical responses are based on experiences. Every mm. single experience causes a synaptic connection. So if you're listening right now, the things that you're thinking, the noise that you're hearing, the chair that you're sitting on. Everything in your environment is causing those synaptic connections. And humans have, uh, it, by the time that we're adults, we have about five, uh, 500 trillion synaptic connections. But from the time that a kid is uh, conceived until they're about two, they develop uh, a thousand trillion synaptic connections. Mm. So they have very mushy brains. And what's going on in that brain is called an arousal response cycle. And there's four different parts to an arousal response cycle. Every human has it. It's it's running from about a month after conception until death. And it starts with a need. So baby poops their diaper. That's the need. For a minute, they're happy with it because it's all warm and squishy. But then it starts to get cold and stings and all that kind of stuff. And so they hit the second phase of the arousal response cycle, which is arousal. And by arousal, it, they have a physical, emotional reaction to this experience. And they squirm and cry and make known that they're having this reaction. The The third part is the response that they get from their environment, the experience that they have. So if they have a caregiver who comes over, sings them a lullaby, uses the appropriate organic flushable wipes and <laughs> cleans them all up and then cuddles them and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, then they enter the fourth phase of the arousal response cycle in this case would be relaxation if that's what happens predominantly then the synaptic connections that are developed in that baby's brain are around security and safety and connection they they have a perspective on the world that they're okay that the people around them are safe and that they're going to they're going to be happy and healthy right if if instead of that you know organic wipe they use a shop towel and maybe they ignore the baby and they let it cry and when Mm -hmm. when they do respond to it they yell at it and they're rough with it and they don't treat it well and they ignore it if that's the phase then they hit so if that's the third phase if that's the response and the experience they have then the fourth phase that they hit is distress instead of relaxation and if that is what happens to that baby predominantly and their experience over and over and over is negative then they become uh insecurely attached to the people around them the the world is not a safe place people are not trustworthy and they're not okay mm. and and this isn't a this isn't a choice kind of attitude that they make they're not they're not saying consciously i just don't buy it the world's a bad place they're literally being wired. Those synaptic connections become neural pathways and neural ruts in their brain. Right. And from age two with a thousand trillion synaptic connections to age 18, where they've pruned away a half of them, those mm-hmm. neural ruts become very solid. So if you have an eight-year-old kid in a classroom who uh, flies off the handle because somebody cuts in line in front of him... It's because he's viewing the world from a perspective of self-preservation. It's a dangerous place, and he's operating in fight-or-flight mode mm-hmm. all of the time. Mm-hmm. So when his place gets cut in line and he punches the kid, it's not because he's a bad kid. It's because we've wired his brain that way. He's not making, he's not making bad choices. He's making the only choice
2: that he can to, right. to protect himself. Wow. So what you're kind of talking about there is some basic classic attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a third one, which is kind of ambivalent with regards to sometimes, as I kind of talk to people, as you were saying, you know, uh, the, the second one about uh, insecurity is, is, is what I would refer to as avoidant. Mm-hmm. But there's a third one that's called ambivalent. Do you kind of want to check tack off on that one a little bit?
3: Well, you're the counselor.
2: Well, I'm the counselor. <laughs> well, I think the other, the third one that I'm familiar with is is really where they call it ambivalent. And the way that I explain it is, hey, when I was supposed to be in comforted, sometimes I got it about fifty percent of the time. The other time, you know, they didn't come and 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 wipe my bottom with those clean, fragrant things. Right. But you know, they were actually using sandpaper, and even worse. So then it's like. I don't know if I'm going to get a a porcupine response or a teddy bear. Yeah, it's
3: unpredictable. And it's
2: very confusing. It's very unpredictable. Right. And so that kid grows up with confusion as their attachment rather than I should avoid or be able to be secure. So if you're dealing with confusion and confusion and behavior, how true that we have actually wired that into the kid. Right. And now they have to work it out and grow up.
3: Well, and what's fantastic is that there's an opportunity uh, to continue uh, molding that kid by offering different kinds of experiences. So whether the kid, whether we're talking about insecure attachment, ambivalent attachment, whatever the result of those tr- of the traumas that they've experienced, it's not fixed. There's a fantastic study done by Michael Meaney uh, in the early 2000s, who is a working with rats and they discovered that there were um variations in the way that rat mothers they called them dams would respond to their pups when they were put back in the cage sometimes mothers would run over and lick and groom their babies and they were very affectionate and nurturing and other ones uh, and other times pups would be put back in the cage and the moms would just continue watching you know their Shopping network. Or be on show their, or their iPad
1: or their phone. Exactly.
3: Just no response whatsoever. <laughs> and so they, they categorized these two different kinds of uh, baby rats. They called them high LG and low LG rats. And they ran them through all kinds of tests. And they came to the conclusions that you would have expected, right? The, the babies whose mothers were attentive uh, were ran through mazes better. They mm-hmm. ate more cheese. They were more socially bold. They lived longer. They were healthier. All of those kinds of things uh, that, that you would expect. Having a good mom, it, it, it makes good rats. But the, the fantastic thing is that uh, once they had established the differences, they took babies who were from low-LG moms mm-hmm. and they put them in the cages with the high-LG moms. And nearly instantaneously, as soon as those babies started receiving the attention and the affection from their from, from their foster mothers, Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. turned them into high LG babies. So their behavior, their outcomes mimicked those of the babies who had, uh, those mothers genetically. So this Mm -hmm. isn't a genetic thing. This is a, this is a response. It's actually called epigenetics and epi means on top of or outside of. So it's, it's about how gene expression shows up. The arousal response cycle, which continues, as I said before, all through our lives, can affect how our genes express themselves. So we can turn trauma into resilience in the context of relationship. But that has has a lot of implications um, in the classroom. It has a lot of implications in the community. It has a lot of implications um, in parenting. Uh, we are not supposed to parent our kids as the only adults that are involved in our lives. We need to invite more healthy adults to be involved in our kids' lives. That's why we need to be in community. It's not enough to just keep our kids busy and safe in our home environment. We need to be connected because our connections will transfer to our kids and give them opportunity to receive the kind of input that alters their arousal response cycle that alters the wiring in their brain that -hmm. that gives them healthy synaptic connections and makes them high-LG babies. Just as a caution, though, I'm not recommending that people start licking their children. (laughs) I don't think that works with humans.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Dude, dirty rat, yeah. So as you're you're talking there, I'm thinking, okay, obviously we have a lot of adults listening to this and they're thinking about their children and how can I change that out for my kiddo or my grandchild or my nephew, my niece, the kid down the street. But what about me? I mean, that tends to be the thought process in Western civilization. Yeah. I didn't get that either. How do I get in part of a LG community LG was I don't know whatever that stood for, but it licking sounds like it was grooming. licking and grooming. <laughs> yes. Okay, I don't know the
3: answer to that question. Oh,
2: okay, that's TMI maybe. But but I'm, I guess I'm thinking, okay, here's that's all these people podcast. that grew up with high ACE scores, and they want to begin to change. They want to create new ruts. They want to create some new epigenetics. They are cutting some new path here. Mm-hmm. Um, for resilience' sake, suggestions. I mean. Just going to the local Elks Club or Kiwanis Club or whatever clubs are out there now—that's—but that, to be able to be in a place where there's healthy relationships, I guess that's the million-dollar question in our society. Where do you go?
3: So, going to the Elks Club is a is a step in the right direction. I mean, it's it's where there are people, but but I would say for the most part, most people already have access to potential relationships. In their circle of influence, so how do you how do you connect with those with those people? And I I've created a, an acronym that I use to kind of help guide myself and other people through this. It's it's not, so knots, so K N O T S. In the first step, um, well, and let me let me back up a little bit. We are in America. Uh, we believe the, the American ideology says. Uh, independence and Mm -hmm. individualism, self-reliance, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, all that kind of, it's crap. It's, It's devastatingly damaging to the way humans are supposed to work. We don't function as independent entities. If you think about what you do all day, every day, try to separate your... Ex, your expected response from the people in your life, from the act, actions that you take, from the thoughts that you think. You are not operating as a separate entity. You're considering how you are relating. I can't tell you how, much, how many times I, I'm working on my motorcycle and I'm thinking, will my friends think this is cool? Because what I'm looking for is that connection in literally everything that I do.
2: Yeah. And yeah. so...
3: So the the idea of knots the first part the K stands for know yourself. Do an inventory. You guys uh, are the flag page experts. That's a fantastic way to kind of it's part of figuring out okay, who am I? Where how do I look at the world? And what's my emotional level? Am I am I healthy or do I have some work to do? Am I an introvert or an extrovert? Mm-hmm. Am I rich or poor? Do I drive a sports car or a 15 passenger mm-hmm. van? What's my schedule? Yeah. blah 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 blah. So you you take kind of an in inventory, uh, an honest inventory of who you are. Then the next the next thing N stands for notice. Just notice what's going on around you. I use my uh, barista as an example all the time. I have a barista that I've known for ten years, so I can tell because I see her on a regular basis and I have a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. I can tell whether she's having a good day or a bad day. Mm-hmm and that comes up all the time in my circle of influence with my wife with people i work with with meetings that i go to that's that's the people that i'm noticing if i'm doing that the o will come up an opportunity will arise where i'll have the, well, i'll have the chance to offer what i have but there's a key here in that because i've spent some time knowing myself i have Boundaries around what it is that I have to offer, so there's needs that are going to come up. There's there's opportunities to offer that are going to come up that aren't for me to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and that sort of protects us from being the save the world kind of people that are stressed out trying to fix everybody's problems. Yeah, because knowing that I can say no is okay. That you should. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to. Yeah. Uh, then the the next one T is take what you need. I know that sounds a little bit uh, harsh. I'm not suggesting stealing, (laughs) Uh, but if we go back to this concept of humans being designed to work in organic community, if you think of, if you think of a human being as one part of a hundred piece organism, then that means that 99% of the exchanges that you have, are you receiving. And if, if, What you're experiencing when you have an opportunity to offer is you expressing the glory of who you are as a person into the life of somebody else. Then what you're doing when you're taking is you're giving those other 99 people an opportunity to do the same thing. This is a tough thing in our culture because we say, No, I'm supposed to be able to handle it all by myself.
1: Right. You're right.
3: stealing the opportunity for other people to be glorious and have the opportunity to express themselves. Right. So that offer and take thing that's a constant exchange that's happening all the time. Yeah,
2: and it's a distortion in our in our culture to not ask. And I think asking is in reality a a positive assertiveness. Right. Because it's not aggressive. Assertiveness is not aggressive. It's being polite. It's being kind. But it's being straightforward and asking for what you need. Sure. Nothing wrong with that. Well, and how many times you guys, Mm -hmm. like
3: Gil will come home. He's had a rough day and he's crabby. I'm sure that happens once or twice. Never. But he's not aware of that, right? Uh Right. You notice it. Yeah. And you, so you're already practicing knots and you're like, wow, Gil's must be having a crappy day. And so you put your hand on his shoulder and you say, hey, honey, how's it going? You are in that moment, you're offering something and it's incumbent upon you to take it. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, healing and health. So it's mm-hmm. kind of just a tiny little example of, of a system that's supposed to be functioning all the time. The problem is we're not operating like that. Yeah. We're saying, no, I, I got to have it all in my own sock. Yeah. And yeah. so so we're stunting it, we're restricting it. So the 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 S yeah. stands for share the story. Because when that exchange happens and you experience the wonder and the beauty of human connection in that exchange, we have to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. stories are what defines and sustains our culture. It's what sets the norm. And it's not stories that Hollywood tells us. Mm-hmm. I'd say maybe one out of 50, they get it right. <laughs> they, get them,
2: they get them right sometimes.
3: It's, it's the stories that we tell at the dinner table and, and at the coffee shop. And while we're, we're taking a break at work of these mundane little things that are actually the glory that say, this is how we do it here. We are in charge of that if we're sharing those stories. And I notice it's not tell the story.
1: Share. Because stories
3: yeah. are never a one sided experience. They're always between at least two, if not more, people. And they're not just the words, they're actually the experience of life connecting, mm-hmm. which, from a biological perspective, is the definition of living. Yeah, that, that experience. So,
1: what a great experience to share with our kids, especially our teenagers, but our kids of any age. Of the whole, I think what I'm taking away from the whole knots is that. I I find, and more, maybe this is more in Western culture, that people are so self-absorbed, they would like in the scenario you said with Gil, uh, a lot of people would just not even recognize or see what's going on with their partner or spouse, right. and right. not even acknowledge it because of fear of. I mean, that's a whole nother <laughs> trust, transparency, right. intimacy, right. vulnerability, um, and but what a gift we can give to our kids because. They may not know how to do that in the real world. And sure. I think it's our sure. job to, be, to put out there healthy young adults. But if they don't even know this stuff, right. it's a great gift for them.
3: So it gives you an opportunity to ask a different kind of question when you go to those graduation programs. Exactly. And you can say, ask them for their story. Yeah. They're 18 years old. They've lived life. And they've got enthusiasm. They don't, it's not necessarily directed. But my goodness, there is a treasure trove of brilliance and innovation and, and awe in the life of, a, of an 18-year-old kid. If you ask them, what have you learned? What do you know? What are you, what has been your highlights uh, and, and difficulties over the last yeah. 18 years? And what are you hoping for in the future? Not what's your career gonna be.
1: No, it's not what about what, the question to? isn't what you're gonna do, it's who you are. Right. I think that's right. a game changer. Okay. We'll finish this out, Brenda. Well, I mean, thank you so much, Curtis. We could do like four more podcasts on this. Hey, in the show notes, we'll have all the information of contact how you can contact Curtis, and uh, we reference you know the aces uh, and all that, and I'll put all that information on there because it's really powerful. So I think we'll sign off, and you know how we usually do that—that that if you ain't got the marriage,
2: you ain't got nothing. Join us again next time. Thanks again. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Gil and Brenda Stewart with the Restored and Remarried Podcast. If you enjoyed today's time together, share it with a friend. And be sure to sign up for Gil and Brenda's free newsletter, subscribe to upcoming podcasts, and learn where they're speaking. It's all on the website, RestoredandRemarried.com. Connect on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and hashtag Restored and Remarried. Plus, they offer one-on-one couples coaching with amazing results. Join the Stewarts next time as they provide more tips, tools, and tingles for your relationship. Remember,
1: if you ain't got the marriage,
0: you ain't got nothing.